Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today I am with Dr. Cedric Jamie Rutland, a pulmonary and critical care physician based in Southern California uh, and the director of West Coast Lung. Dr. Rutland, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Hey, so before we dive into COVID-19, can you give us a quick uh, background on yourself? Uh, sure. Um, so again, my name is uh, Senator Jamie Rutland. I grew up in Northern California, Sacramento and San Francisco. Uh, went to UC Davis for college. Um, played basketball in high school, maybe a little bit. I wouldn't really consider a little bit in college, but practiced a couple of times. And then um, went to University of Iowa for medical school. And then I stayed there for residency and then ended up at KU Medical Center in Kansas City uh, for pulmonary critical care fellowship. And then I've been a staff now for going on six years in Southern California. Wonderful. Sounds like you received a lot of training uh, in preparation of, of this time. Uh, so what to start us off, what happens uh, after someone's infected with the SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus. Um, so I think what we have to understand, first of all, is that SARS-CoV-2 is a single-stranded RNA virus, and we're learning more and more about it. It's very much related to another coronavirus called SARS and another one called MERS. It's about 50% homologous to MERS and about 80% homologous to SARS-CoV-1, uh, which uh, led to an outbreak of uh, ARDS in China in the early 2000s. Now, what happens when you become infected with SARS-CoV-2 is the virus itself binds to a certain receptor that's called the angiotensin converting enzyme receptor, the type 2 receptor, which is present on the vascular endothelium type 2 pneumocytes, which are lung cells, um, as well as in the small intestine. Once the virus binds to this receptor, what ends up happening is kind of fascinating. It basically leads to the overreaction of the white blood cells in the bloodstream. Uh, that is what ends up leading to significant morbidity and mortality in people is that the immune system becomes overactive and it overreacts to its presence, recruiting a bunch of white blood cells into the lung. And so the lung, instead of being full of air, right, the lung is a bunch of balloons stacked on top of one another. Uh -huh. Instead of those balloons being full of air, they're now full of white blood cells, so you can't appropriately gas exchange. To take this process even a step further, what we're also finding is that the coagulation cascade is overactive as well which leads to blood clots. And when you look at the pathology, and there have been three or four papers published in the last five days looking at the pathology of patients who have died, and when you look at the lung, you can see thrombi within the pulmonary arteries. And that's also contributing to significant morbidity and mortality. So you have two significant processes going on. One, the blood that's going to your lungs is being clotted, and two, the alveoli are being filled with white blood cells so you can't even gas exchange. So you're almost getting hit twice with the inability to gas exchange. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's r- really interesting to hear that. How how is this different than other other lung diseases then? So it depends on the lung disease that you're talking about. So again, you know, for me as a pulmonologist, I think the lung is easy. But the lung is basically you either having a disease of three different parts of the lung. All right. So the lung is a a bunch of pipes, mm-hmm. like your trachea is your main pipe, your Adam's apple area, that lead to a bunch of balloons stacked on top of one another. And then there are blood vessels that carry unoxygenated blood to the alveoli, so that way the blood can receive oxygen. And so you're either, there's either a disease of the blood vessel or the blood vessels, meaning you have a pulmonary embolism, or you have a vasculitis that's affecting the blood vessels, or the blood vessels are really, really thick, and so you develop a significant uh, pulmonary hypertension, or it's a disease of the alveoli. Either you don't have any because you smoke too much and you have emphysema, which is dead lung, or you have an autoimmune process going on in the alveoli as a result of a connective tissue disease like, say, rheumatoid arthritis, or you have a pneumonia or a fungal infection where the alveoli is full of the pneumo- of a fungus, of a bacteria, or you have a disease of the pipes, like asthma, where pipes become inflamed and they you develop bronchoconstriction and you can't breathe very well. So there's different layers to the lung. And so it depends on which disease you have and what part of the lung it's affecting. Hmm. And so for most lung diseases, is it usually just one of those cases? And if I'm hearing you correctly, what we're seeing in a lot of COVID-19 patients is is two main factors in the blood clotting and the alveoli filling with pus or, or fluid. No, no. No, so what you're seeing in COVID-19 is you're seeing the blood clotting and you're also seeing the alveoli fill with our own white blood cells. White blood cells. Right? White blood cells. So there's a concept called the cytokine storm. What that actually means is that as a result of molecules that lead to a significant amount of cellular recruitment, this cellular recruitment ends up causing significant pathology in the patients that have a cytokine storm. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting to hear the science behind that. So something I'm really curious about, because uh, some of the research I've done uh, along uh, along the lines of data from Iceland and South Korea, uh, some of the studies done with the Diamond Princess cruise ship and a plane from Wuhan to Japan, uh, lead us to think that there's 20 to 50% of people that contract COVID-19 are asymptomatic. Uh, and the CDC has said, probably around 80, 85% of people have just mild symptoms. Why is it that some people get such severe symptoms uh, while many will have no symptoms or just mild symptoms? Well, the complicated answer is, I don't know. The easy (laughs) answer is genetics, right? Okay. So genetics definitely plays a role. What we have to understand is that when you look at the body on a micro level, Okay? We're talking a microscopic level. The okay. body communicates with itself through a cytokine or chemokine system. So cells, when they need jobs to be performed, 
they will secrete a cytokine, which is a small protein or a small molecule that will then go bind somewhere and cause transcription and translation of products that it needs to complete its job. And sometimes this can overreact. You get an over-response. Sometimes you get an appropriate response. And so the people that get an appropriate response probably are the people who are just asymptomatic. They're like, oh, the virus is there, no problem, no issue. We're just going to take care of it. We're going to move on with our life. Yeah, the person might have a little bit of a cough or have a stuffy nose, but no big deal. Whereas if you have a body that overreacts to this virus, that's going to be a problem. And those are going to be the people that present to the hospital, and those are going to be the people that get really sick. Hmm. But there's no way to tell, at least currently, who's going to be who. Interesting. What what has your patient population been like for for COVID nineteen patients? And most of the patients that get really sick are older. Okay. Right? I don't have a really young. We, it's not common for me to have a really young sick one. I've had a young sick one. But it's not as common. Most of the people that I see are probably over 60 years old that have severe infections secondary to COVID-19. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so sort of goes along with uh, mass uh, mass data. And how, how are you treating uh, your patients? So one of the issues that we have with the disease COVID-19, and again, the virus is SARS-CoV-2, the disease is COVID-19, is that we don't have very much evidence to direct our therapies. So it requires a lot of thinking. And what I mean by that is you have to look at the literature on SARS-CoV-1 and MERS in addition to the little bit of literature that's been published since December in terms of looking at the immunology of the illness. Hmm. How do the cells respond? Why are the cells going to certain areas? What about the clotting cascade? And so what you do is you extrapolate from that and you develop a treatment plan that's personalized for your individual patient. One of the problems we have in medicine is we want to fit all these patients in one box. Hmm. I don't think that's very smart. I've never been that way. Again, me as a pulmonologist, I'm very immunologically heavy. And so I already take a personalized approach to my practice, and we need to do the same. So what you end up doing is you look for markers of inflammation. You look for markers of cytokine storm, and then you base your therapy on that. In addition to looking at the coagulation cascade in your individual patient and seeing if a patient is coagulopathic. If I have a patient that's coagulopathic based on what's called a thromboelastogram, I will anticoagulate them. Maybe hmm. not full anticoagulation, but half anticoagulation because I don't want them to develop the blood clot. If I think that their cytokine storm is extremely active, I will try to calm down their cytokine storm. Yes, I will also enroll my patients in clinical trials to give them the appropriate antiviral agents. But again, it's a combination of antiviral agents, calming down your immune system, and starting anticoagulation. Hmm. That's really encouraging to hear. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, how often you're prescribing antiviral medication versus using symptomatic treatment or treatment based so, on their symptoms. Yeah, so again, antiviral medication 
basically, there's only one antiviral medication that we're using these days, which is called remdesivir, which okay. inhibits viral RNA polymerase. Other medicines such as hydroxychloroquine, which is Plaquenil, or azithromycin, their main effect may actually be an anti-inflammatory one, as these medicines may not be as antiviral as originally thought. So, I'm not saying those medicines don't help. I'm just saying that those medicines may not be as antiviral as the president thought. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, interesting to hear. Yeah. I had done some studies on, uh, both those drugs. I was curious how remdesivir has worked. Uh, if you're allowed to disclose, uh, how it's worked for your patients. I mean, I can disclose subjectively. I mean, I think, you know, the patients who get remdesivir, I think they do. I think they do better. I think actually they do better. Um, I can't say, you know, for sure we'll wait for the literature to show its case, but you know, in my opinion, yeah, I think they do better. That's that's uh that's assuring and, and, and good to hear. Uh, so I'm I'm curious. Uh, one common misconception that I've heard uh, is that no one young, or at least people that are young, aren't likely to get this or have severe symptoms. Uh, you had said earlier most of your patients are older, but you've seen younger uh, patients. Uh, one number that came out a few weeks ago is 38% of people hospitalized for COVID-19 were under age 55. Uh, exactly. What is this due to, do you think this is mainly due to the cytokine storm, like the overreaction of the immune system, or, or why do you think that is the case? Yeah, I mean, I think it's due to the overreaction of the immune system. That's why people go to the hospital. It's because of the response of our immune system to the presence of virus. It's not exactly because the virus is this overwhelming infection. It's really our immune system's response. Hmm. Interesting to hear. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, how our immune systems work and our bodies uh, are so complex. Uh, another interesting number that I saw uh, was that 72% of ICU COVID cases in the UK uh, had a BMI over 25. Uh, right. So either overweight or obese. Why is this a risk factor associated with severe symptoms? You know, no one knows, but I will say this. People who are obese have a increased inflammatory response. Again, the adipocytes leads to some inflammation in the body. That's why they develop probably type 2 diabetes. Is why they develop probably cardiovascular disease. Is because when you look at the inflammatory markers of someone who is obese versus someone who is not obese, the inflammatory markers of the obese person, they're prop, they're higher. And that's, you can see that in the literature. So that's probably why. Hmm. But no one really knows. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's, I think it's valuable to know moving forward. Uh, awesome. So uh, last thing before I let you go is, is what is your views on, on how uh, the public should handle this and, and what we should do moving forward? I think the public is handling it, you know, I think the public is handling it well. I do think that in areas of concentration, uh, the virus spreads faster, as you've seen in New York and in larger cities. Um, but I will say that you know, the public is afraid, which I understand, but then there are some cynical people who think that, you know, the virus is nothing and no one's really doing anything and there's conspiracy theories out there. 
But I think overall, as long as you, as a civilian, have access to being able to be tested, being able to ask questions, I think that's the best thing. Because I do think that earlier presentation leads to better outcomes overall. So I do think that as long as you have access to healthcare, it, it might lead to a better outcome for you. So talk to your physician, uh, understand where your testing sites are in your town and in your city in case you need to go and get tested, um, and take care of yourself. Exercise for at least 30 minutes a day and eat your fruit and your vegetables uh, and take your zinc. I love it. I need to be better about the exercise lately. I went from uh, playing college basketball to quarantine, not doing much in my home all day. So thank you so much, Dr. Rutland, for everything. Uh, it's been really incredible to hear the science behind this and, and what you've been seeing. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You guys have a good day, okay?